you know, today is Palm Sunday, and I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, the, the, the Gospel of John, and we're going to read John 12, verse 12 to 19, as we reflect and give thanks for Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. But before we jump in, I better pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, whether this is the first time we have opened up to this story or, Lord, the hundredth time, God, we ask that you would speak to us. We say again that this word is living and active, and so we pray, Lord, that by it you would shape our lives. God, we ask that it would fall afresh on us. Lord, as we do worship with all of your church gathered up, not only across this valley, across this nation, but across the world to remember the gift of a son. To remember the the blessing that you came to live, die, and in victory raised again. God, we ask that you would watch over our time this morning, God, that this would be the beginning of an entire week of transformed lives in you. So would you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. So John 12, 12 to 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You know, every time I read that story, for some reason, More than any other story in the Bible, it comes alive in my mind. I can see it, can you? I can hear the crowds, I can almost taste the dust stirred up in the air, you can feel the excitement. You know, this day is so important in the story of Jesus that all four gospels give an account of that moment. Matthew tells us the city was stirred up. Luke explains how the crowds threw their cloaks on the ground with this uproar of praise. Mark tells us the people sprinted from the fields with these palms in their hands, eager to meet the crowd. And as this procession came closer and closer, you could hear the words reverberating off the walls. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you see it? You know, as a pilgrim made their way into Jerusalem on that Passover festival, you would have been familiar with that phrase. It comes to us from Psalm 118. At annual feasts along the road to Jerusalem, as people made their way, 
you would hear this scripture recited. You can almost imagine maybe like a call and response. It was a phrase that had been memorized and rehearsed for years. Save us, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just put yourself in the city for that for a minute. It said it was the as I said, it was the, the feast of the Passover, right? This was a big deal. This was the festival where God's people celebrated their liberation long ago from Egyptian slavery. The streets would have been packed elbow to elbow. It's, it's hard to even understand or get our minds around how full Jerusalem would have been. It was swelling. And here comes this man, rumored to be king, and the crowds immediately draw near. Years ago, um, Bono and U2 would just pop up on rooftops in the middle of cities just randomly and they would start playing their concert and within the hour there would be people for blocks and blocks watching this happen. Traffic shut down. Again, just put yourself in the streets of Jerusalem for a minute. Let me ask you this. What kind of man, what kind of king would you expect to be coming up and over that hill with that kind of party? What would he look like? Who, who would you expect to see with that roaring crowd up ahead? Remember that the palms that we saw the kids waving this morning, they symbolized something significant. They were literally the flag of Israel's national identity. They had become this historical symbol for the resistance to Rome. There were two different wars that had been fought before this against the empire. And in both those wars, coins were stamped as a memento to the rebel army with palm branches engraved on them. In one particular festival, the men would wave these things called lulavs. Look at this. They were essentially these branches of willows and myrtles intertwined with palms, and that branch symbolized Israel's pride. And so you can imagine all this is taking place. The Jews are occupied by Rome. They are oppressed in every sense of the word, they're sick of this powerful empire over them. They've been longing for freedom for years. And so when you see these palms waving back and forth and you hear this psalm being recited over and over, you need to understand it's somewhat of a battle cry. Save us. Imagine like a 4th of July parade, but this time it's before the Battle of Independence. And instead of an American flag, it's palm leaves. The warrior has come. The, the man rumored to raise the dead. Rome's demise is finally here. You know, if I were watching this for the first time, if I was a pilgrim on the streets, I would have had all kinds of preconceived ideas of what this man looked like. I would expect a man coming over the hill, maybe sitting on a pillow, dressed in white, as his men walked step and step, carrying him through the city, a king, or I'd imagine maybe camels adorned in jewels making their way through this crowd, leading the way as he walked with his entourage behind him. Or at the very least, I think we would all expect a horse, a stallion, right? Chariots saluting their general. But of all the ways Jesus could make a statement, of all the animals that you could choose for this parade, what does he pick? A donkey. <laughs> Donkeys are a goofy beast, right? The donkey is the joker of the animal kingdom. 
You know, donkeys, donkeys remind me that God must have a sense of humor. Their ears are twice the size of their face. They're stubborn as all get out. Their universal language is what? Hee-haw. <laughs> and one of my favorite movies all time is Shrek. <laughs> and remember, in Shrek, who is the goofiest character in the movie? It's a donkey, right? Here's this film about ogres falling in love, which is like the silliest plot you can imagine. But the comic relief is a donkey whose name is Donkey. Why would Jesus ride into the holy city on, on that animal? Zechariah 9.9, look at this, it foreshadowed this day. God's word says, rejoice, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as you dig into that passage, you realize there's something more going on here, right? This isn't just a fulfillment of prophecy. That donkey means something. It's communicating something to the crowds. First, you already see it on the screens. It tells us Jesus is coming in humility. But then if you keep reading through Zechariah and you get to verse 10, you find out the rest of the story. Look at this. It tells us that the one riding this donkey shall speak peace to the nations. You picking up what I'm throwing down? This donkey tells us Jesus was coming in humility and peace. Meanwhile, as the crowds wave their flags and shout for freedom, they're expecting war. See, this one small act, it's, it's actually an all-out rebuke of the crowds. The, the, the donkey is this quiet defiance against these people's cry. It's because the king that they wanted was far from the king that was before them. Look again at our passage, John 12, 16. We're told that even Jesus' own disciples were scratching their heads. They had no idea. They didn't understand. Which should then cause us to ask, well, didn't understand what? See, there was a disconnect between their broken expectations and the divine reality standing before them. You know, I feel like so often in our flesh, we, we try to play this game called, if I were God. You ever play that game? Man, if I were God, I would do things so much differently. I would communicate in such a different way. Some of us are, are really good at, at playing armchair quarterback. Others of us, uh, we become pros at this, this sport called backseat driver. Anybody in the room know what that's like? You know, we think to ourselves, I'm, I know I'm not all powerful. I know I'm not all God-knowing. But man, God, you sure you want to play it like this? How is it that Jesus Christ, victor, warrior, conqueror, decides he's going to ride a donkey? I mean, what could be the outcome? Remember, we have hindsight. They didn't. It's hard to understand. I feel like this week... This week has been a week that's difficult to understand. It started with the, the actions of a deranged shooter, this time at a Christian school. And then with this voyeurism, right, we, we become so callous to these things that the news plays the video 24 hours later and we watch it. We forget to weep. 129 shootings to date. 
It's hard to understand. This week, for the first time in American history, we hear of a former president indicted on charges, felonies. And regardless of how you feel about that, right, for all of us, it causes you to wonder, what does tomorrow look like? It's hard to understand. You add in a letter from brilliant minds all over the world screaming for us to pause on this thing called artificial intelligence because, quote, no one knows where this is going. It's hard to understand. And so the political pundits and the media, they begin to pour over all the solutions to our problems, right? And it's interesting to me how the same world discounts the presence of God, and yet in the same breath, everyone seems to agree that there is a very real and present evil in this world that needs to be dealt with. There's no talk about who he is or where he came from or how to defeat him. There's just this universal acknowledgement that something's way off. And so it makes sense that we would hear the words of a national campaign, make America great again. Or in the most recent the White House promises us our best days lie ahead. And with this sudden burst of hope, the people would grab their palm branches and they would wave them with this confidence that maybe someone will save us from this perceived downfall that's come upon us. And we shout our own rehearsed cheers with hopes of a better tomorrow, the ones we've heard over and over again. See, we're not that different from Jerusalem, right? Our hearts beat with the same kind of longings as theirs did. We see the wrongs of this life, and with the smallest flicker of hope, we become like moths drawn to a light, hoping that someone will save us. And so it makes sense that this, this crowd, after years of opposition and oppression by Rome, would parade through the streets. It would make sense that they would see this, this could be the moment of my freedom that this could finally be the day of reckoning. For the Jew, Rome was the personification of evil. And here's this rumor one who will lead them into battle. And the song resounds. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Which old witch? The Roman witch. See, but just as the dust begins to settle and the crowd looks on, here comes this man from the people and he's not on a camel and he's got no horses. There are no chariots. There is no army. Just this ragtag group of disciples and a donkey. I mean, who could understand? How could you fathom it? There were two crowds present that day, aside from the disciples. Our scripture tells us the first were those who had watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead back in Bethany. And they knew this man had miraculous power, right? If he can raise the dead, think about what that means. That means the army will never die. Josephus, that famous historian, he later records millions of people that had come to the city for the Passover. So you can imagine that kind of crowd screaming those kind of chants all in one unified voice. Jerusalem was a tinderbox. And then there was a second group coming from what probably within the city. 
And they too had heard all the rumors of the, the healings and the teachings. This, this man with wisdom and stature who taught like no one before. I mean, the anticipation was enormous. Look at this though. I think Socrates helps us see what the ancient world thought about this day. Look at this. He said, those who have cultivated gluttony or selfishness or drunkenness are likely to assume the form of what? The donkey. Reminds me of Eeyore. I mean, we love Tigger, right? Bouncing with joy, and then there's Pooh Bear. How, how can you not fall in love with a honey-loving bear? Then there's Rabbit. He's got all the wisdom of the hundred-acre wood. But Eeyore, we know he's a mess. He's always losing his tail, blaming someone else for stealing it. You know, if there's a, if there's a weather forecast to be had for Eeyore, it's what? Mostly cloudy. <laughs> a donkey. I agree with one of the commentators I read. He said, we shouldn't call it Palm Sunday. We should call it Donkey Sunday. It was that significant. First Kings 4.26 tells us this. King Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen. Now that's a king, right? That's a sign of power. If you're going to go to battle, that's, that's the one you want to go with. You can see why the disciples wouldn't get it. I mean, you can't know what you don't know, right? A symbol of humility and peace. Who'd have thought? See, but with the battle of the day, this, in this momentary crisis, right, the, the news headlines had gotten so hot that everyone was caught up. The crowds, the disciples, the, the Pharisees, all of them had turned their heads from eternal things and instead all they could see was the thing here and now. Isaiah 31, once, long before Jesus came, this is what God's word taught. He said, woe to those who go down to Egypt and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and horsemen because they are strong, but they fail to look to the Holy One of Israel. See, Jesus sees this nationalistic expectation. He, he sees palm branches waving in the air. He hears this shout for salvation from the Roman enemy. But instead of giving the people what they want, Christ sticks to the plan, and he's going to give them what they need. See, what they need is not just saving from Rome. They need saving from themselves. What they need is not just salvation from the day's trouble. They need salvation from their sin. See, there is a heart problem in that crowd. There is a depravity among the people. Jesus said, my kingdom isn't of this world. I'm not here for that. You know why Jesus rode into that city on the first place? You know what he was doing there to begin with? Look at this. Here's his mission statement. Look at this. In Luke 19, here's the plan. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. From the very beginning, it didn't matter what the crowds thought over and over again. They tried to throw him off his game. Jesus was on point to the very last detail. I am here for salvation for the lost. And so beginning with this peaceful trot, now we watch. We watch Jesus fight an entirely different battle, one where sin and death would be destroyed. That's what this week is about. Jesus didn't come to fight flesh and blood. He didn't come to have it your way. He came to conquer 
powers and principalities that you and I can't even fathom. From the donkey, to the crown of thorns, to the weight of the cross, to the nails in his hands, to his last breath. That's how he did it. I'll level you. It makes no sense, humanly speaking. This is why Peter cut off the servant's ear to save the Lord. This is why Judas would betray him with a few shackles. This is why Thomas didn't understand and doubted. See, because you conquer a battle with power and might, not with humility and death, right? A donkey. How could you comprehend it? How could you understand it? But I want you to see, here's what happens when you don't understand what you can't understand. Look at how Jesus rectifies the problem in 16b. It says, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered what these things that had been written about him and had been done to him, and that's when it all made sense. Notice this with me. Notice where the disciples go from confused to convicted. Our lesson tells us they misunderstood at first, but then when they, when they return to the things written about him, now they get it. When they first saw the scene, didn't make sense, but now with God's word open, things are clear. Dr. Steve Lawson just last week said it like this. He said, the answers to every fundamental question in your life are still found in the Bible and the Bible alone. Now, if you've been struggling to comprehend this life, if it's hard for you to understand what tomorrow's going to be, if you see a, a nation, a city, a family, your children, your life, all of them needing to be transformed, let me just say this. You will not find it in your own playbook. You won't. You won't find it in the next politician, the next leader to emerge, the next policy to be penned, the next battle to be fought. I promise you, if you want to see evil lose in your life, it begins with an understanding of what God's word has taught us about Jesus. And then second, it continues with you spreading the word to others so they can see his glory too. As I said, I can see it. What would it would have been like to be in that crowd? Just think about the tunnel vision. Some hear this man who was rumored to have performed miracles. They thought, well, maybe he can make this better. Well, Hosanna! Others, they hear of his power and wisdom and they think, well, maybe he's the guy to strategically get us around Rome. And they cry out, save us! But we know some saw him as an all-out fraud. The Pharisees, they, they said, this guy looks nothing like the king. They're, they're, the whole world's coming to him. This is a loser. Little did they know that was the plan. Just hear me out, right? Despite all their thoughts, despite all their motives and agendas, when Jesus was glorified, then the disciples returned to what had been written about him, and that's when their hearts came alive. Can you imagine, for the first time in history, like a light bulb, the scriptures of old suddenly revealing Christ to these men? Can you picture that? As they unrolled Isaiah, the scroll, and they read these words, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, by his wounds we are healed. Can you imagine when it hit them in the face, that's him. 
and how good it is that we don't have to wonder that unlike the disciples, we have the entirety of God's word. We know how this week ends. We know why Jesus came. And so this week, here, here's my invitation to you. What if it was just as simple as you and I picking up a Bible or opening the app on our phone and letting all the other noise drown out? And just this week, what if you picked one gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you just read it? What if you read it to your kids as you were having coffee, the family over dinner? What if you read it in your devotional time in the evening? And from now to Sunday, just picked one story, one grand story of what Jesus has done for us. And what happens if you just let that good news wash over you again? How would that change your understanding of the world around you? I'm gonna close with it. This famous line of the well-known hymn as we prepare to remember what Jesus did for us. And it goes like this. In fact, I'll invite you, you can shut your eyes and listen to this. This is my father's world. Let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be won. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost and thank God because what you and I need more than anything is salvation from our sin. Pray with me, will you? God, how often we come to you with our own preconceived ideas of who you are and what we need. How often we lose sight of you and we, we come to misunderstand what it is that you are doing here. And yet, God, we return to your word and we hear that you have never left us, that you promised you would never forsake us. And we return to your word and we hear that you have come to save that which is lost. We turn to your word and we, we hear, for God so loved the world. So God, we pray this week that we would be a people who return and remember what your word points to, that you were glorified for glory's sake on our behalf. So God, we pray as we read through your story again, as we gather together on Monday, Thursday, and remember your command to love one another, as we worship you Friday night, and we think about the, the weight of our sin that puts you on that cross. God, would you prepare our hearts so that by Sunday, when we sing, save us, Hosanna, God, we can say it knowing the victory is yours. God, that we can bring our sinful, broken selves and be transformed in Jesus' name. God, we ask that. We pray that. Give us the power and the courage to do that this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.